Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of the Avid Discussers podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Ray. You know who it is. And we're joined by our good friend and co-host, Ty Party. Ty, the Canucks are out. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm still, I'm still got a smile on my face. Oh, I am too. And a good thing too is I finally shaved off, shaved off my wannabe playoff beard. It wasn't even a beard at all. It was just a mustache and just ha- a few hairs on my chin. And it was pretty, pretty disgusting to look at um, every morning and sucks that I can't even grow a beard. It's, I want one, but one day. But anyway, so the Canucks are out. They lost 3 nothing to the Vegas Golden Knights in Game 7. And my initial thoughts on the game was that they were by far the better team. And Demko, once again, kept the Canucks in close. They weren't getting any offensive zone time. The breakouts were poor. The zone entries were poor. And they weren't really getting any shots on net. How many shots they had like in the game? Like 14 total? They only had two in the first period, which was a franchise low in the playoffs. Not getting a lot of traffic in front of the net either, because that's where Leonard's most vulnerable if you go to the net. But that didn't really happen. And the probably the worst part about last night's game was that they couldn't convert on a five-minute power play. And they only had one shot on net. Like, on the power play, they were passing way too much. Sometimes you just got to shoot the damn thing. Too bad there aren't any, weren't any fans in the arena just to yell, shoot, shoot. But they had trouble, like, getting setting set up and with the zone entries again on the power play. So it was just a, a poor performance. Well, against a really good Vegas team. And once again, goaltending was a huge reason why the game was so close. But unfortunately, Demko was beaten by Shea Theodore, who else, on the power play late in the third before Vegas added two empty netters. And it sucks, but uh, a smile on my face, like Utah, because I'm proud of this team. They overachieved this season, and uh, no one expected I, I, for one, didn't expect them to make it this far or even come back from 3-1. I thought they were done in five. I love the their resiliency throughout this whole season. The young core, uh, they still, uh, the best is yet to come for them. And the future is bright here in Vancouver. No doubt about that. And it should be, once again, another very interesting offseason, especially with the flat salary cap. Couldn't agree more, I would say that. Yeah, um it was a it was a fun ride of this fun ride this season. Started off uh with the preseason like almost a year ago now, hard to believe. And um but it was like how how is Pedersen gonna continue his rookies build off his rookie season? Will he have a sophomore slump? Is Markstrom Still a good goalie. Was the year before just a fluke. Can Quinn Hughes live up to expectations and all that? And then uh, they lost their first game in Edmonton against the Oilers. But 
Uh, they won the home opener 8-2 against L.A. And it was been a, it's been an up-and-down season all year. They There were frustrating moments, and there were some good moments, like Bo Horvath's hat-trick in Detroit, um, the seven-game win streak from December to January, beating the Bruins 9-3, to and, of course, beating Minnesota in the qualifying round and beating St. Louis in the first round. But there were, like, poor moments, like losing streaks, uh, like that. I remember in December that game against Montreal. Um, the radio was, was, was brutal with the calls. It was very frustrating. Uh, there were blown leads for, for many in this season, especially that one in March against Columbus. I so mad I could have I could have broke my TV, but I didn't want to because that thing costs money. And how am I going to watch hockey games or any other sports for that matter? But overall, this season they overachieved. overachieved. Pedersen. Um, has proven that he is one of the best players in the league. And Quinn Hughes, you got to give this guy the call. He's been unreal throughout most of the season. And it's only going to get better. And he, Carr, Heiskanen, Dahlin, well, those four are going to be the best defensemen in the league throughout the next decade and beyond. Bo Horvat in his first year as captain. Um, another pretty good season. And he has showed that he can lead this team. Markstrom, uh, Canucks MVP for a reason, a huge reason why they were in the position they were in, just bailing out the Canucks in many games. Thatcher Demko, uh, he had his struggles in the regular season, but he has shown glimpses of what he can become. And especially in the last three games, it shows why he is the goalie of the future. And they got to prioritize him over Markstrom. Nothing against Markstrom, but Demko is younger and the goalie of the future. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for goalies. And what's Vancouver without a goalie controversy? And the JT Miller trade, one thing I was wrong about, I hated giving up that first-round pick. I absolutely hated the trade, like the process. And Miller at the was just a guy who was playing on the third line, I believe, in Tampa. That's the third line center, yeah. And he just blew us away this season. Did not expect him to be this good. He's a leader on this team. He can do it all. And next season, I had there's no reason why the A shouldn't be on his jersey. Oops. Ty, do you got anything to say? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, at the same time, when I look at this series, I think it also shows me uh, how many, how much they really have to improve. I would say, um, can't win when you have thirty-eight percent course hit, even strength, and thirty-four expected goals. Vegas is a good team, but you really got to, uh, you really got to beef up a couple more pieces because they just don't have the surrounding talent that Vegas has. They have the uh, I think they had the the aperture talent to to compete with them. Um, it's just it comes down to that really, and you know, Benning better uh, he better start uh, popping the champagne because this could be the 
I, I'd say this is going to be the height of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, it's going to be another interesting offseason. The Canucks really got to improve with... There's just so the, much he has to do in the offseason. Yeah, like, there's so much. And here's the thing. like I've got no faith in him to do it. <laughs> oh, hold on. Sorry, I, I, held, I held my positivity back during the playoffs. But, I mean, I, I got I to gotta go back to my roots now. <laughs> Mr... Uh, not even negative. Not not negative, Mister Critical. But I like, which I'm, is fair. I, I see, I see. Like you see, like the absolute, like obviously, like the top tier talent that like Vancouver has. This is as good as like Tampa. It's as good as anybody. It's as good as Colorado. It's just that they do not have the surrounding talent, and it's like it's a shame because they could win a cup with this core, but. They've done such a terrible job at surrounding the talent that they aren't going to beat a team like Vegas. When in reality, like they could totally beat Vegas, right? Right. Totally. They just don't have the they don't have the depth. And I, I don't know. I'm a little frustrated by that, but you know, fire Bennett. <laughs> you know, if um, the Canucks managed the cap wisely the last few years and didn't overspend on. Like Tyler Myers and a bunch of bottom six forwards. Tyler Myers is going to prevent them from entering the contending window. They we'd be talking about how the Canucks can build from this season and what, what pieces. The Canucks they are the, the Canucks are the 2017 Oilers. Like that's what's hope are. not, but they're the 2017 Oilers. I'm fearing that. Like just sorry, just say it. They're the 2017 Oilers. Yeah, I. It looks like it now, but I hopefully that's not the case. Maybe if they spent the capital more wisely, um, they'd be we'd be in a better position. And it's going to be another interesting offseason. And Ty, what's your what do you think the Canucks need to do to end this offseason? Um, I think you've got to look at. I don't know. You, you got to sit down and look at. You know, why did we lose to Vegas? Uh, you know, and I look at it as well. We got outshot by an absurd amount. Um, we have to figure out, uh, we have to make a, you know, the coaches have to sit down and look at it and say like, okay, we've got to, we've got to absolutely, you know, beef up our offensive system. It can't be so simplistic that Vegas can basically break us down in one playoff series and us not, and we don't adjust basic, basing that on their breakouts, their zone entries and the power play. Um, and, 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 you know, they get so like, I was saying this last night, I said like, they're so set up with that that spread out power play, right? That like, if if Vegas takes it away, then they don't have adjustments they can make. They can't, you know, obviously adjust their formations in the power play. It's like they're so set with what they want to do in the power play that Vegas already knows what they're doing and can instantly shut it down. And we have like two or three ways we we break out. Vegas knows it inside out, right? No adjustments at all. Um, drop pass the whole bit. Um, you know, the coaching staff has to look down and say, okay, like, you know, let's figure out how we can, you know, maximize the talent we do have um, and, and obviously fix those problems. Because, I mean, like, you know, as much as much as I've talked about green is like your your shot share numbers are going to be better if you're a good – like, I'm not basing off of Vegas. I'm basing off the whole season. Your shot share percent – your shot share numbers, obviously, if you're a very good coach, would be way better than what they were. So in the playoffs, Green is a good coach, and let's hope that he coaches like that in the regular season. Um, 
but again, like from a general manager standpoint too, I think you have to look at, uh, you know, what happened in that series. What were they missing? And I'm scared and terrified that Benning's going to think it's that we miss Ryan Reeves, right? I'm scared and terrified. But, you know, what they were missing was they were missing a guy like a Josh Levo, um, you know, a legit third-line center. I do not think the Canucks have one. They miss like a Josh Levo. You know, Anton Roussel on the fourth line is fine. You know, Tyler Mott, fourth line, fine. But like they need to move on from guys like Sutter and Beagle because those guys cannot keep up with the modern game. In the modern game, you do not need Ryan Reeves. You need like a guy like, you know, Josh Levo, even, you know, Anton Roussel. Roussel was good that series in, in possession wise. Um, you do not need Ryan Reeves, and I'm terrified that they're going to go get him. And, and Tyler Myers was not the reason that Alex Tuck slowed down at the end. Um, I, I hate to hear that narrative from a lot of the media. No, he was not the reason that he slowed down. Tyler oh, Myers oh, wait, wait. cannot Who's saying keep this? up with anybody. Who's saying I this? heard J-Pat said, it last, J-Pat said it last night, but I'm pretty sure there was a lot of 650 guys. Oh. There's no way that, that you know Tyler Myers is the reason Alex Tuck showed, slowed down. It, you know How much of that was actually them saying like adjustments of how that he... Uh, you know, adjustments of how he went he went about his offensive game and the whole bit. Uh, Tyler Myers on the bottom pair is not the reason that Alex Tuck slowed down. Sorry. Maybe, you know, he makes a he's faster than both bottom pair guys they had then, but he's not the reason that Alex Tuck wasn't scoring near the end. No, no that's not the reason at all. And I guess... You no, know, maybe I'm wrong, but... Maybe I you are, but... Uh, Speaking of Tuck, he's pretty much a the ideal like bottom six player. Like he's fast, but like you know, like it, on most teams, he's a first line right winger. Most right? teams, right? And and Vegas is like, okay, you know, we're so stacked at right wing, we're just like, yeah, you know, play in the third line, we'll pay you first line money, basically. Pretty much, um, well, we we want Jake Vertanen to become or. What but, was it? What was it like? I can't believe that like Ve- like Minnesota was like, what was it? It was like, uh, what was their deal? It's like you take, oh no, you take Alex Tuck and we protect like, uh, it was some defenseman. Might have been Matt Dumba in that aspect. Yeah, it's fine, but it might have been another one. But like, I thought it was some winger that they said they didn't want to pick. Maybe it was something to do with Eric Hall. I don't know, but. uh you know, the way that Vegas got him was just crazy, you know, either way, too. Yeah, it was. Um, so, the offseason, there are some decisions that the Canucks have to make. Well, first one thing is Jacob Marsham and his contract. What kind of deal is he going to want or or something? Because Demko's play um, in the playoffs might have been a factor. You do not pay Jacob Markstrom six million for uh, six years, for example, because you got to look into. I'm thinking. I'm thinking his his market value is. Uh, I'm thinking his market value is in the sevens. Um, oh, you do not I think that the Canucks are more relu- more reluctant. Well, no, like like that's his market value. It doesn't mean that you're going to want to pay him that. It's just that's what his market value is at this point, based on his playoff run. I think his market value. It's pretty safe to say that it's. It's probably the seven million, probably something like that. Um, I don't know. Basically, the thing is, the Canucks are probably more likely to feel safe walking away from him. 
um, just based on the fact of you have Demco on, on such a value contract, right? Basically, you know, level of an ELC deal. But why would you... It, it's hard to walk away from him if, in the sense that, like, you're, you basically... The Canucks have basically put themselves in a situation where they're going to lose one of their goaltenders. Based on that situation, you have to walk away from Markstrom. Sorry, you can't. And based on the deals you've signed in the bottom six and the defenseman in Tyler Myers, you have to walk away from Markstrom because you don't have the cap space. And if Toffoli wants anything over like five and a half, you can't sign him either because you have to you have to figure out how you can improve and you have to walk away from those guys if you stand any chance of improving and you have to spend your cap space in other places to get depth. The Canucks have put themselves in that situation. Do I want to walk away from Markstrom or Toffoli? No. It's just based on the cap situation that you have of why you have to walk away from them. That's the problem. Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. The cap situation with all with like the Myers contract, the Beagle contract, and all that, preventing the Canucks to making these decisions. And walking away from Markstrom, as much as I don't want to do it, it's not a bad idea. And he yeah, is- I'm looking at looking at Markstrom's. Okay, so uh, basically, there's a couple sites that I look at that basically project your market value based on how much how much you're worth based on a win, right? So they say Markstrom's market value based on his analytical profile is four point three million dollars a year. Hmm. Four point three million. And I've seen I've seen some in the sixes, but um, I think it's more. Yeah, his his rebound control, I guess, isn't very good in in some of these. Oh no, it's based. I don't even know these goalie. I haven't. I haven't. I don't done enough research into goalies. I just look at basic stats. But like, he's in the seventy fourth percentile of goal saved above expected, right? Which is again, that's pretty much that's pretty much the most stable um, stat we have to view goalies from a public standpoint, right? You know, you have your private data, but like, I don't know the correlation season to season. Like, there's high correlation in value obviously with your goal stable expected the only problem is there's not correlation season to season because goaltending is so random right um the top goalie is almost like guaranteed to not have a good year the next year almost or like have a significant drop off like i would not be surprised if the jets are a lottery team next year because connor hellbuck takes a big step back right i think i can probably say that pretty confidently that I, i'd say the jets are going to take a big step back just based on the fact that we do not project Connor Hellbuck to be that good next year. Um, and I mean, you know, we got to hope that Demko obviously moves out, but it's like there's such a significant age gap between Markstrom and Demko. And, you know, how many more years, like, you know, goalies can go to like maybe 34, 35 without much significant drop off. I, I think, uh, you know, the top of the top can. Uh, I, I think that your your safe return on investment is letting him walk and using Demco because you you know obviously open up your you open up yourself to to being able to get depth in other places. But again, we we worry about just the guy making the decisions, and you know we hope that he makes the right ones. And another thing about Marstrom's contract is age, and he's I think he's thirty now. And uh, 30 is pretty much the peak for most players. But for for goalies, it's so random. Uh, you don't give a guy like six, six, seven years for $7 million at 30, especially if he's a goalie, because 
Look at uh, Florida with Sergei Bobrovsky, and he's dropped off significantly already, and that contract does not look good. So do the Canucks want another anchor of a contract in the future? So, Like, like at the end of the day, right? It's not the end of the world paying Markstrom, right? It isn't really. From, but from a gotta... process standpoint, like, there's a lot worse things you could do, like signing Tyler Myers for that much money. Um, lot, a lot worse things you can do. But at the end of the day, signing Markstrom to like a, I, I'd say he's, I think he was looking for a four year contract, right? Um, the Canucks wanted to give him three, and he was saying, you know, you signed Jay Beagle for four. Why, why can't you, you sign me? me for four? Yeah, basically. And I mean, like, you know, Markstrom's got a good agent. Like he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna ruffle every single button that Canucks have because he's a good agent, right? Yep. Pat Morris is um, a good agent. I think he's a, he's got Newport, doesn't he? I, I forgot his name, but I remember. I think it was Markstrom's agent who uh, first uttered the term "avid discussers," and then Drance took on. Oh, I, th- I thought he had. I thought he had Newport. No, I think you're thinking of a different guy. Unless the. Uh, Let's look this up. No, he's he's got um, no, he's he's Newport Sports. I I was just thinking of him as Newport. Uh, it's Pat Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, you know he's a good agent. Uh, the the sports agency he's signed by is a good agent. Um, but I mean, like at the same time, you, you can't. Again, you can do worse things than sign Jake for ten for three million. You can do worse things than sign. Obviously, Markstrom for six. Worst things you can do than sign to Foley for six. Like, there's just worse things you can do in those situations. But there's obviously better things you can do, right? Look at how you can improve this team. You know, if I'm looking at this team, I don't think they need to get more tough. I don't think, uh, like, how many teams it was like, oh, well, you know, they're not tough enough. That's not the reason that any of these teams are losing games. You know, if you're playing in the NHL, you're tough. Like, I don't care what anybody says. This isn't 1980 hockey. Like, you know, did the Canucks lose because they weren't tough enough? No. Did any team in the playoffs that I watched lose because they weren't tough enough? I didn't see. I didn't see one. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, Toronto didn't lose because they weren't tough enough. Toronto ran into the hottest goalie in hockey, right? Uh, Nashville didn't lose because they were t- weren't tough enough. Nashville lost because they ran into another very hot goalie. Just stuff like that happens. Hockey's a random sport. It's nothing to do with your toughness or any of that. If you're playing in the NHL, you're tough. Okay. Um, you know, look at look at like the highest correlation we have with with how how we can basically predict future success is your your expected goals, right? And if the Canucks are in the bottom five, right, like every year, they're not going to be consistently good. Like I would say. Look at how we can improve stuff like that. You know, obviously your top line with Besser, Miller, and Pedersen, that's locked up for the next couple of years because you know that Pedersen's not going anywhere. Um, that's locked up. Horvat's locked up for a little bit. Uh, you know, Pearson to fully figure out, you know, okay, look at Horvat's game. Um, you know, look how we can find Horvat optimal wingers because finding him an optimal winger and find him an optimal deployment role because obviously him in a defensive role is not good for this team. Um, figure out how you can improve the most and find, you know, some speed guys that can push possession offensively. Like, like even like, it's not even that you need to get faster. You, if you know, smart guys like Mark Stone's not fast, but he's smart. He knows the game. He can play at a high speed because he's so smart. 
guys like Beagle and Sutter, they cannot play at a high speed. You know, those are those are not guys you can win with at this point in the league. And it's nothing like, you know, obviously, and and you know, betting speaks about injuries and stuff. You know, having a higher, um, having a higher possession rate, obviously, you're gonna have lower injuries because you have the puck way more, right? You're not you're not hemmed in your own zone just getting the puck fired at you. You, you know, there's there's less risk of injury in that aspect, and you know, you can avoid injuries season to season, but you, you can figure out ways to obviously improve. Um, I think the big thing that you got to look at is is you got to say, okay, Josh Levo, uh, we'll get you for under two million, right? Great value contract, stature. Let's try to get you under two. You know, even at two, I go a little bit above two. Get those locked down. Those guys are cost-efficient players that you can win with because they're very good players. They drive possession offensively and defensively. Now find a guy that that can come in as a third-line center and say that they can, you know, you put him in any role. He can maybe jump in the lineup, you know, play more minutes if he needs to. Care if you pay $4 million, right? That's where you're going to have to pay a contending third-line center, right? You don't, and then, you know, on your fourth line, it doesn't matter. Like your third line has to be, uh, your third line is just as important as your second line now, I think, in, in this day and age, because everybody's so fast, everybody's just in, in tremendous shape and the whole bit. It's not the 1980s. You, you can't win with two lines in hockey and you don't win with these tough guys. Rant over. Yeah, pretty much. This is not the 70s or the 80s. This ain't the Broad Street Bullies era or whatever era. The toughness, like toughness and grit, it's not really the thing in hockey anymore. It's about, the you know, speed is one of them, but skill and hockey IQ and transitioning the puck up the ice. That's that's pretty much hockey today. And you don't win with guys like Jay Beagle or Brandon Sutter. And it's... Uh, the, this team, uh, it can't. It, sure, it can. Fast speed really isn't always like the biggest thing. It's about like like you said, Mark Stone. He's not the fastest guy, but he's very good because he is his hockey IQ is is off the charts, and he knows how to play on both ends of the ice. And another thing, uh, the Canucks really got to fix this this defense. And you've tweeted that the Canucks should walk away from Chris Tanev because. And I have to agree, he has declined the last three years looking at analytics and eye test. Sure, he has been a warrior for this team throughout his whole career, but I think it's time to move on. He's getting, he's 30 now, and uh, the decline is going to happen even more. And he's going to, it's already happening. And he's going to want another uh, big contract, probably like at least $4 million per. Four years, I'm guessing. So his, his uh, what's his market value? His market value probably, I'd say, is three ish. I, I think. I think. Like, if if I'm saying like what I would pay him, I think it's three ish. But like, you know, if you're looking at his like projected contract, I would say it's. Let's double check here. His projected contract is three year, three point two. Um, okay, that would be more ideal. His average based on based on the projections is a two point eight year contract at two point nine million, which I would sign him for. I think uh, I think in that aspect you have to sign him at two point nine, you know, two or three years, something like that. Uh, 
I, I think it's a very fair contract given, you know, it's just whether or not he wants to sign it. Um, you know, there's also been a lot of debate on that one too. Uh, let's see what his market value is. His market value based on his analytical profile is $2.7 million a year. So yeah, you sign, you sign him, even if it's a bit more, right? right. Um, and, and more, more so based on uh, his, let's see, his possession answer against, so like obviously his, his defense against was good. Um, his expected goals against were good. Um, I don't know how much of that is, is his goals for on offense based on the fact of Quinn Hughes basically carrying him there. Um, I think you have to sit down and think, um, how are we going to pay him uh, and obviously improve our team at the same time? And what does he want? If that's fair, because like you look at a guy like Troy Stetcher, I think that Stetcher's market value is probably in the threes. His project, he's looking like he's going to take a yeah. So Stetcher's value is value based on his analytical profile is two point nine million dollars a year, and Stetcher's projected contract is. Let's just double check this one right here. Run the numbers. It is a. 2.9 is his average based on the projections is 2.9 at 2.5 uh, uh, million dollars. So based based on, but like when you're looking as like projected based on most of them, they say he's going to end up with a two year 1.9 because he's an RFA, right? So no, nobody else is going to sign Troy Stetcher. Um, he doesn't have a big enough. Like you might see like a team like the Leafs try to try to get anything, but like. Um, the lease would, would offer him what his market value is and uh you know the connection match that obviously. I think you got a prioritize stature over see, like, like, But Chris, like I, I yeah, I, I think you do. He's twenty six years old. Um the thing is uh, like you have to look at I, I think Chris Tanoff has more market value than Troy Stetcher does. Um even though I think Stetcher's a better player at this point. Um I, I think though like you should look at like these other teams that you know, you've obviously got the, the blues are in, are in um, cap trouble. Like what, what, you know, look at what the right hand uh, Pereco's they're going to move from some guys because they're not going to be able to keep their own captain. They, something's going to be moving in St. Louis in the off season. And that Justin fall contract single-handedly might close their window just because of that. I'm agree with that. They got to move some guys if they want to keep Pietrangelo uh, around. Even Vince Dunn. Yeah. Vince Dunn too. I know that their fans hate Vince Dunn, but like Vince really? is like one of the better young defensemen. Yeah, that's what I that's what I'm thinking. And I like him to be on, be a Canuck, but uh, one can dream. So, I think they should prioritize Stetcher over Tanev because you've already pretty much said why uh, he's the better player at this point. And uh, I'm on that right side too. Do you bring in a guy like Brogan Rafferty up next season? Uh, I think you do at some point. Uh, would Jack Rathbone even make this team, uh, for example? And what about uh, Tyler Toffoli? The Canucks. His, you want his yeah, yeah, let's, value let's, based on this? Let's hear it. So Evolving Wild has him at seven six point five. So seven Jeez. year six point five contract. Um, I looked more into that though. It's based based on his projection. It, his average term is five point three years. His average cap hit on all his projections was $5.9 million. So they based on basically found there was a 27% chance that he lands up with a seven-year deal. But then you look at his other ones, it's like 25 for a five-year term and 18 for a four-year term. So it's like 
it's like two percent between like two and three years. So um, we'll look at like Petrangelo though. Like they think like he'll probably get like a seven or eight year contract. Um, but then you look more into that again. Average contract is six point seven years, eight point five cap hit. So realistically, the Canucks should be like looking into you know it, based on a cap position, the Canucks should be like, yeah, we can make a big run at you know Tory Krug or Taylor Hall. Or Alex Petrangelo. I wouldn't take a run at Tory Krug if he has to be sh- You know, you can't pay a guy that much money if he's going to be sheltered, obviously. Biggest overpayment, if I'm looking at UFAs, probably Mike Hoffman. That's the guy you got to stay away from. Yeah, Tyson probably Mike Hoffman. Will be, Tyson Berry will be f- like a little bit of an overpayment, but like he's not going to be like... Not yeah, be I think they should stay away from Barry too. No, like, okay, like... Like if the Canucks didn't have Quinn Hughes, like go for Tyson Berry. Because Tyson didn't. Berry's like one, but like Tyson Berry's like a guy that you just—he's he, an offensive driving defenseman, right? He's got to be a bit sheltered because of his defensive game, but like Toronto just like threw him into a situation where he was never going to succeed. Um, Babcock single-handedly like ruined him in the Toronto market. Yeah, wasn't very good defensively with the Leafs this season. Also. It's going to be interesting uh, what what they do with Toffoli or if they even bring him back. And there is some talk about, oh, is Toffoli and Besser going to be on the same on this team next season? Did and they have popped up like on the Twitter. Like, what are what are they going to do for more Caspies? Should Besser be traded? Uh, I would as again, I'd only do that if I think you get like trade a Sutter. Would any team want him though? Well, he's got... based, on, based on this playoff run, I think that Sutter has more value than he ever has before. I think you you should just be like, take him, just take, just him, take him and him. run. Honestly, yeah, I'm all for trading Sutter, but uh, I think he has enough value. Like the there's so many hockey guys or whatever that would that would want to get like Sutter. Well, if you know, if anyone like, wants Toronto Sutter, would never want him to take the take take him off the Canucks' hands. I'm all for it. Let's see like um, a team like uh, St. Louis or the Islanders or yeah, Islanders. Come to mind. I'm just trying to think of like hockey guy GMs, like like Florida's analytics team now. I, they're not taking him. Uh, we don't have Paul Fenton in Minnesota anymore. They aren't going to take him. It, it's just somebody will take him. Like even like a Ottawa, like you know, like it would probably it, to get him to Ottawa it would take uh, it would take pieces, right? Right. Except Benning just does not want to part with these guys because he doesn't want to admit he's, admit he's wrong, right? Right. And yeah, trade frustrating. It's very frustrating because I think a trade has to happen to release more cash base, and they gotta play smart with the trade market. And hopefully, um, it won't be a there won't be a trade that'll piss us off this season. And by the way, if a trade does happen, we're gonna record an emergency pod, so it should be interesting. And once again, back to Toffoli. Uh, I'm what I've read. He's like been wanting at least five years, so. Depends what his term is. Depends. Uh, AAV is. The, the AAV, I'm not sure. So I, I do want to bring here's him back. The thing. You're never... Here's the thing, though. you got to look at it this way. is You have to look at what's the probability of that being a plus on return, plus ROI, your plus return investment of how much you're going to pay him, his term and the whole bit. How much are you going to get positive value for how much you're paying him um, in those five years? How much are you guessing? I think you can only guarantee that you're going to get two, right? Because once they hit that 29, 30 years old, there's there's decline. And 
doesn't that decline can come at 34 or that the decline can come at 29 right it's it's unpredictable signing a guy like Toffoli, right uh we saw that you know a guy like Zidane Chara or like Thornton just like don't decline they're just like baiting father time like every year but you know there's other guys that just steeply decline and it's just like how the hell did that happen doesn't make sense at all yeah, that's so, what you gotta look at. Hockey is such a, that's what you gotta look at. You gotta look at. Well, let's see. I'm pretty sure he's still got a few good years left in the tank. So it'll be an under interesting off season for the Vancouver Canucks after what's been a roller coaster of a season, and they went further than many of us expected. So we'll be talking a lot about the off season, uh, when when it happens. So let's uh. Looking at our list here, let's move on a little bit from the hockey stuff. Let's uh, another sport that we love is football and the NFL, and the season is upon us. Though I'm sure most the games will be played without fans, and the Seattle Seahawks will be gearing up, hopefully for another uh, playoff run. They made some moves in the off season. They signed Jamal Adams, for example. I mean, not signed, uh, excuse me, traded for Jamal Adams. Traded a first for him. And they brought Josh Gordon back and a bunch of others. Let me see. And by the way, Jadavian Clowney still hasn't signed. I almost forgot about that. I just I remembered. Back to Seattle. I like him back in Seattle. From, from what I've heard, the Saints are pushing tires uh, for him. But we'll see. Um, let me take a look at what they've done. And it looks like they're going to... Well, I think they have cut Shaquem Griffin just like just now. Which is interesting. They brought Paul Richardson back. Um, hmm... So they made some pretty. Oh, they brought Quentin Dunbar too, um, from the Washington Redskins. So that improves the secondary. So I think the Seahawks have improved, and uh, I'm not. I, I love football, but I'm trying to improve my football knowledge, and uh, I do. It's going to be a. I think it'll be a two-horse race for the NFC West between Seattle and San Francisco. So I'm pumped for football season. I still got to do my NFL fantasy football draft for Yahoo Fantasy, and I'm still trying to research on that because every year a team, a, a guy on auto draft almost always ends up like finishing higher than me, and I find that really just a bunch of BS. So I got to really draft smart this year. So, Ty, do you have any thoughts on the NFL season and the Seahawks in, in general? Um, I think that, yeah, I, I'd probably say that I think they're pretty safe to win. I, I'm well, not safe. It's it's going to be close, obviously. Uh, it'll be a good battle to win the uh, to win the NFC. Um, I think I think bringing in Dunbar and Adams is going to probably make them the best secondary in football. Um, I think I, I think I can say that with confidence, in my opinion. Um, I, I posted I posted a couple days ago the 
the splits when they got Quandre Diggs as their free safety could go back to this one safety look for most of the time. Um, they were like they moved from about you know a slightly below average unit to like a legit good unit against the pass. Um, they were also uh, I was looking more into it against the seam passes, which is up the in between the numbers of the field. Um, basically, you know, a lot comes down to your linebackers and safeties. Uh, they were the best in the league against the seam pass. Um, basically, I think the big thing they had to they had to clean up was the cornerback opposite of Shaquille Griffin. Go out, got Quentin Dunbar, who was very good last year. Uh, Fifty four pass rating when he was targeted, very good. Um, they probably shore that up. I think obviously the big the big worry obviously is their pass rush, but I you know I, I tell everybody this that that comes to me worrying. I say. You know, it's a lot easier to scheme up uh, pressure against a quarterback because you can figure out how ways to get it. You cannot fix good coverage, bad coverage. I mean, you cannot fix that. You cannot go, okay, well, we'll do this and it will make the coverage easier because you sacrifice a lot of things. If you have good coverage, that is way more important than having the pass rush. You can figure out ways to deal with a bad pass rush. You cannot figure out ways to deal with bad coverage. It's very difficult to deal with back coverage. In that aspect, that's why I'm very confident in the Seahawks. They go out and get uh, Josh Gordon back, DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, very solid. I'd say that's a you know a top ten receiving core. Yeah, but I think that's a much better receiving core. Um, yeah, it's top the top ten. Yeah, probably, I have to agree the with best that. Best core that he's probably ever had as a, as a receiving core. Yeah, um, and another thing they got to let Russ cook. Greg Olson too. Yeah, Greg but Olson. Like, you go in like two tight end sets, right? And then yeah, like all two tight ends. You go into like a two tight end set with Will Disley and Olsen, and it's like, well, okay. Well, the defense, you know, obviously like Olsen and Disney, like, like it's like, okay, you put a linebacker on. They're, they're going to be too fast for linebacker, right? But then all of a sudden the defense is like, okay, well, you're shredding us to pass. We'll go in a nickel. We'll bring an extra DB in. Okay, well, you know, okay, we'll run then because they have an extra DB on the field and we have a tight end. We'll keep running. Like stuff like that where the Seahawks are just so equipped on offense that they just have so many little things they can do to just mess with the defense. And I think, you know, look at like a team like San Francisco, you know, I think the thing is like defenses are very unpredictable um, in the ends, in the sense that there's no stability season to season with your defensive performance, specifically against the run uh, more, more so you have season to season data against the pass. Like, you know, it, it's pretty stable, but um, I think we can safely say that San Francisco is going to, regress and they do not have a legit first they don't have a really a legit first receiver if they don't have deep deep samuel and uh they have george kittle who's good very good but probably the best tight end um, in the league you cannot win just running the football though yeah you can't they have to they have to figure out ways to score in their passing game i, I don't know i don't have a lot of faith in in san francisco like very good coordinator He'll probably be the reason that they do anything. It's just they, they don't really have. I, I think that I see decline in their defense and a couple of problems in their passing game more so than anything. Like they're Didn't they lose a bunch good. of people too. If I'm not too much, uh, mm-hmm. very similar. They lost their D tackle, but like they replaced yep, them with like a high pick. Thinking. Like they'll be fine, right? Like they'll be a good team. Yeah, they'll. I, just, I, I think that Seattle's a better team on paper, and doesn't necessarily mean like. The variation between like the best team in the NFL and like you know like a very good team isn't that much. Like you could totally win. Like 
like the difference between those two teams is coaching. It, it, like coaching is so heavily influenced in football compared to any other sport. I would say not even. Uh, and I think in that aspect, the Seahawks are, are the best team on paper in the NFC West. Probably, yeah. I'd say like a team like I, I think a team like. Uh, New Orleans is probably a little bit better just based on their offense. Um, but yeah. we, we look at uh, Seattle, like it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good year of football. Yeah, it will. Minus like, you know, Seattle, the link won't have any fans, but it should be a good year. And I'm going to offer up my predictions for each division winner. So let's start with the NFC West. I got Seattle and the NFC South. I got the saints. NFC North, the Packers. NFC East, the Eagles. The AFC West obviously got the Kansas City Chiefs. That's my pick. AFC South, um, I'm going to go with the Texans. AFC North, I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens. Though the Steelers, uh, I think they won't be too far behind. Uh, AFC East. The New England Patriots once again because because well, well it depends on how good Cam Newton will be and if he can stay healthy with the Patriots and uh, a team that has won the off season is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they signed Brady they signed Gronk and uh, they recently picked up Leonard Fournette as well but I I think they're Kind of overhyped, and they're in the same division with the Saints, and I think the Saints are a much better team. So the Bucks are—I predict they'll go ten and six, and they're just to me. I'm probably going to be wrong on this—a wild card team at best. All right, so it should be a really good year for football, especially fantasy football. So. Uh, can't wait. And um, another sport that's on is baseball. And the Toronto Blue Jays, they have been raising some eyebrows. I didn't expect them to do, to be this good so easily. Uh, not so easily, like, at this point. And the record as of now is 21-17. and 17. And I did not expect them to be above 500. And taking a look at the MLB standings, they are second in the AL East. The Rays are on top with 27 wins, and the Blue Jays have the same amount of wins as the New York Yankees, which is kind of hard to believe in my opinion. Take a but like here's the thing though like if you're looking at the like so basically like what's made the blue jays win okay so i looked into this like it doesn't make sense of how they're winning right so i'm like okay like i want to look into this um so we're looking at their pitching staff right uh wins above replacement you already know that from hockey they've got 5.9 win replacement on their pitching staff right so that's the second best in the league this year. Behind the the Twins are slightly behind them at five point seven wins. Best is the Cleveland Indians at eight point oh eight eight wins a Republic replacement. So I was like, okay, like the connect the the Blue Jays don't like have like a legitimate like good pitching staff. So I was like, okay, let's look into the underlying numbers. 
expected uh, XFIP. That's one of their better ways to kind of look at like who's getting lucky and the whole bit. Blue Jays are 4.42, so that would put them at 13th. So, like, you know, a little bit worse than that. Okay, let's look at uh, left on base percentage, stuff like that. Just figure out, you know, if they're getting lucky, leaving a bunch of guys on base. Um, nope, it's still pretty good. It, it's weird. Like, I don't know. It's like the Blue Jays, like, on paper are not good. The 18th in the league in that aspect. Uh, let's look at their Babbitt. Another sign of getting lucky. And then you're looking at that, and it's like batting average balls in play. Nope, they're not getting lucky in that aspect. It's weird, right? Like, they're actually, like, good this year. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it either. And uh, baseball people, uh, I think they can explain it way better. But I've well, no, like, here's the thing. Like, 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 even from an analytics standpoint, like, they don't they don't have a good team, but like, I don't know. Like, like they're getting lots of soft contact and the whole bit. So I was like, okay, like their pitching's obviously been good enough, right? Good okay, enough. yeah, sure. Right, the pitching's been good. Uh, hasn't been elite. It's been good. Uh, go into their their batting, right? The, them as a team. Weighted on base average, the Blue Jays are. 15. So, like, they're basically an average average hitting team in that aspect. Okay, let's look at some of their power numbers. Blue Jays are ninth. So, like, obviously they've had a lot of success with the some power and the whole bit. Uh, we look at their defensive ability, right? So, this is their defense helping their pitching out. Blue Jays, 13th. It's like they're an average team. It doesn't make sense. Like in that aspect, like, yeah, they're winning. But like we basically think like, okay, they're getting a little bit lucky, right? Pitching's been really good, but they're getting a little bit lucky. I was like, okay, but is that a reason to go all in like they did? I don't know what they get the draft capital they gave up to get all these players, but like, okay, like Robbie Ray, if you didn't pay a lot for him, is a very good buy low candidate, right? I don't know what they paid for him. Very good bullet buy low candidate. Uh, he's struggling with his walks this year. He dials that down. He's an ace pitcher. He could be a top. Let's see. I think going into this league, I think he was like a he's like a top fifty pitcher. Um, but you look at like a guy like uh, who else did they go? Jonathan VR. Yeah, Jonathan VR, and they got he's uh, he's a good player. Who's the other guy? They got the guy from they got Walker from the Mariners. Yeah, Tajon Walker. He's fine. Yeah, he's, he's like nothing special. Nothing special. Like if you're looking at like these guys, so like pitching. Yeah, they're bulking rankings. up with the pitching. Well, like, like here, it's like, let's like Robbie Ray is a hundred and second best pitcher in baseball. Okay, fine. What Tywin Walker, hundred and twelfth, fine. Um, and who was the other guy? It was ah, uh, I completely lost him in my head. That <laughs> they got Walker and Ray. Were those the only two pitchers? Yeah, I believe. And Veer, you, you've got like shortstop. I don't. Like, he's playing second at most of that. Like you're looking at like the Blue Jays pitching staff, right? right. So, like, oh, Ross Stripling. That's another go. So he's like 95th best pitcher in baseball, based on the based on their absolute like analytics profile projection, the whole bit. So basically, the Blue Jays pitching staff is is Hinjun Ryu. He's the 17th best pitcher in baseball, right? Very good change up the whole bit. That's kind of what makes him good. Um, so you know, top 20, good pitcher. But then, like, there's a significant drop off in your first pitcher to your second pitcher, and then third on that. They basically have like a bunch of like above average pitchers, and then like 
after that it's like and it's basically like an ace and then like a bunch of above average pitchers like shoemaker 99th best pitcher stripling 95th robbie ray 102nd Tevin walker 112th nate pearson basically everything above 100 is basically like a league average pitcher so basically they have just a bunch of league average pitchers and uh tanner Rourke, who sucks <laughs> yeah um it's so basically weird. like yeah it's like they're they're good but like are they overachieving is it a reason to go all in like you have to have like expectation of like okay well you know let's look at their bats like based on how they should be performing right like vladdy guerrero is probably a top 40 hitter in baseball i'd probably say it, it, based on his analytics profile he's 36 best hitter in baseball bichette's the 57th bgo's 114th great check 138th roddy telez 154th tosker hernandez 162nd they just bunch of like good guys right they have a good core they have a bunch of guys coming up is this yeah, they a got a good reason for them to go all in? Yeah, is this a good reason for them to go all in now, though, right? You yeah, gotta yeah. think of it that way. Is there a reason to go all in now? Because you know, after like they have like a couple, like a bunch of guys, like you know, Teoscar Hernandez. I think he's better than 162nd. Um, struggling a lot with the like his power puts him at that point, but he just strikes out so much. It's just not. He's just not that. He doesn't have the consistent to get on base, right? In that aspect, I'll give the floor back to you. Like Jonathan VR, 244th best player in baseball. High upside, yeah, sure. But you don't want to give a significant draft capital or prospect pool to get a guy like that. It's not like they went out and got like a top 50 player in baseball in any of those aspects. They're a bunch of high upside guys, you know, to make the playoffs. Yeah. I'll put it that way. That's pretty much what uh, my first impression with all these moves. Like they're making these moves to make the playoffs. So the Blue Jays on paper aren't a good team, but they've been better than expected but average at best so let's see what uh happens with maybe them. A, bit, a bit above average because a bit above average have, yeah i think i'll put it that way like they've been hitting um i wouldn't even say they've been hitting i think they're you know they have pieces it's just they're a bit overachieving um i don't think it's any reason to think like they're better than the race like the yankees were so i, I kind of stopped following baseball for the last little bit but like the Yankees were so hurt when I stopped when I started when I stopped following it. Like Judge was hurt and all this. It's like, well, you know, when the Yankees get healthy, like the Yankees are still a better team than the Blue Jays after these trades. So yeah, they still are. That's what they gotta look at yeah, too. I think, and I think that's a, why the Yankees are like such a uh, like the Rays are uh, Rays are better. Like the Rays have like the Rays obviously took it they should the Rays should have taken a downgrade this season. They lost a lot of pieces, didn't they? They think they did. No, they no they didn't. No, that's the same team. Um like you know they're a better team basically just based on this playoff format i guess it's a more reason to go all in and this is you know this is what it would like this is what it would end up if the if hockey did you know the 24 teams that you know everybody be doing what the blue jays are doing now yeah it pretty much so let's see if these moves pay off or if or we could they make the playoffs or it's another blue jays uh glimmer of hope Collapse. I'd love to see him in the playoffs. Oh, I'd love wear, to see him in the Blue playoffs too. Basically everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I have a Blue Jays hat too, and I have a. I don't know. I, I just think. Uh, I haven't. I gotta improve my baseball knowledge. Nah, shoot, so. uh, that's that's like, like. I mean, it's baseball analytics are kind of where I moved to hockey analytics from. Yeah, baseball was the first sport to like use the saber metrics, the analytics stuff. Moneyball, one of my favorite sport yeah. movies of all time. Me too. Moneyball. Uh, Brad Pitt, on base whole, and Jonah Hill, great movie. 
I think to me Great that was movie. Jonah I, Hill's best yeah. like performance that I've seen because I'm used to. Well, seeing... I just love that movie. I watch that whenever I'm in a long car ride or going somewhere. That's like the first movie I download. Always make sure I'm watching that. Like summer up, drive drive to Oregon every summer. That I always download that movie. I have to it's, watch it. It's a great movie. One of Brad Pitt's best performances too. Maybe it's because I'm an analytics nerd and I absolutely like love that movie. But uh, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know. One of my one of my if if I'm given a list, that's one of my favorite sports movies. Same. Anyway, um, Scoot, before we get into break, I'm going to talk about some soccer. Uh, the Premier League season is going to begin in about two or three weeks. And Chelsea have been making some big moves. So we already got Ziyech. They've already got Werner. Uh, they got Saar, who's going to be out on loan. Ben Showell. And now the big piece, probably the biggest piece, Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen for only £71 million. Reports said it would go up to £100 million, but I don't know what happened. So Havertz is one of the best young players in the world. One of the best. He was one of the best players in the Bundesliga last season. Twelve goals and six assists, I believe. Uh, he's a great passer. He can score. Um, he's fast, and he knows how to get around defenders pretty easily. And this makes a Chelsea attack strong. And the transfer ban and losing Eden Hazard to Real Madrid were just blessings in disguise. So this team is um, going to be special and. This team looks like it can contend for the Premier League title next season with Manchester City and Liverpool. However, they still need one more piece. A goalie. Like, sure, you improved the defense. And, oh, by the way, Thiago Silva also signed on a free. And they're still going to go after Declan Rice, who plays center back and midfield. Though he's more of a midfielder type role. But... But let's say you get Rice in as well to improve the midfield and the defense. But you still have Kepa in then, whose statistics show was probably the worst goalie in the entire Premier League last season and one of the worst in Europe. So do you still go with him? No. Sure, Frank Lampard wants to get rid of him, but who's going to pay his, pay his release clause? Loaning him would be an option somewhere. But he's been terrible. So they need to get a goalie, like someone decent. Not like a guy who is unproven and they're just going to pay a bunch of money for. So all black, not an option. He's really good goalie, one of the best in the world, but too expensive. Onana from Ajax, another good option, a really good goalie. Cheaper too. There's a bunch of guys in the French League you could sign for about $20 million. I think... Um, they would be all good options. Nick Pope from Burnley. England's number one. Not sure how much he'll go for, but I don't think it'll be a lot. So overall, Chelsea, they've pretty much won this transfer window so far. And uh, with the young core of Pulisic, Mount, Abraham, Loftus-Cheek, and the others, it should be another fun Premier League season. Hopefully they get a goalie before it starts because... Um, that could put them into title content, really well into title contending status once again. And I really want to see the Premier League return to London, return to Stamford Bridge. So, should be another interesting season. 
we're going to head into a quick break and then we're going to get into the best and worst of Twitter and questions. All right, everyone, it's time for the best and worst of Twitter. We're going to start off with someone, actually two people who have won Twitter this week. First one is Mr. Booth, and he tweeted, he pretended to be the Canucks public relations before, I believe, game five. And he said Thatcher Demko was starting that night. And believe it or not, he fooled so many people, including myself and members of the media. He fooled Jeff Patterson. He pulled. He fooled Rick Dollywall, and even Brandon Bachelor, and they tweeted, "Oh, uh, Demko is starting," and I think even like Greg Wisniewski of ESPN, he even got fooled as well. So that was pretty funny, and uh, I was about to like thinking about writing an article about Demko starting. But luckily, I saw the the at, and it was at Mr. Booth Seven, not Canucks PR. Wow, that is that is just some grade A trolling, right there. And he just fooled members of national media and Rick Dollywall. Like he tweeted that he was all pissed, but I'm sure I'm sure he had he had a good laugh about it too. So that that one Twitter for the week, and also another tweet that one Twitter which really goes into best was from none other than Snoop at primetime Snoop. And uh, let me bring it up here. He pretended to be like the breaking news news account or whatever. And it's, he tweeted the Vancouver Canucks have been fired $45,000 for bringing in strippers into the bubble for Thatcher Demko. And believe it or not, so many people thought it was real. Like, a lot of people. People were like, oh, shame on the Canucks, and how could they do this? And it made its way through Facebook and into Instagram. People thinking it was real. And to those who thought it was real, you've been snooped. And that was probably his best tweet since the time he pretended to be Francesco Aquilini. And thankfully this time he didn't get his account suspended. So bravo to Snoop. And thanks for being funny. Uh, here's a tweet from Above Average Mike Slanders uh, at Seahawk. He quote tweeted a tweet saying, took me three weeks and $600, but he turned... I turned my unusual cul-de-sac in my backyard into a new picnic and chill area. And then he quote tweeted saying, Oh crap. It's not not loading. Oh, here we go. This is 100% fire and 100% not a cul-de-sac because it shows the the backyard. And a cul-de-sac is like a type of street that goes uh like there's a circle and a bunch of houses. Think of Grove Street from GTA San Andreas. That's a cul-de-sac for those who don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Ryan Lestage at W R I 
R Y R twelve R. So many R's. What the hell? I screenshotted this tweet from eight years ago, and this person, Barbara Brown, eight years ago, tweeted McDonald's sucks, and then the person running McDonald's UK said F off, Barbara. Nick, and he signed his name, Nick. And then the McDonald's account tweeted again, we are sorry about Nick's actions. We have let him go. Please contact us for a free coupon. That's one way to lose your job. Uh, here's one that's pretty funny. Uh, this, I believe, Ariana Grande slash BTS stan, whatever, Alan fan account at Piggy Bank, but her, uh, scr- tweeted, I'm screaming, Emery joined our Zoom. Then Mike, at or the chief, at some Mike say, just spent five minutes looking for Unai Emery, the former Arsenal manager. And uh, when I first saw that tweet, I was like, wait, Emery? And like, where's Unai? He's not there. And then this tweet, I believe, was a, for the VMAs or whatever. And this person just got um, racialed by a bunch of soccer fans. Wanting Unai Emery. So that was pretty funny. Uh, Bradley Thomas, one of our guests, he tweeted, can't believe we stopped Reeves tonight. Best accomplishment of the season. And put a picture. New password, Reeves. Weak. New password, Patterson. Strong. Just very good. Uh, When Ben Chelwell signed for Chelsea, Tammy Abraham tweeted, Welcome, brother. What time is house haunting? At Ben Chilwell. Then his teammate, Mason Mount, said, Haunting, dot, dot, dot. With a gif of Ice Cube going, what? Then Abraham admits he made a mistake. But every, but all his teammates were just roasting him for it. Pete Blackburn of CBS Sports. He, um, I think this is after game two? Tweeted a picture of Robin Lehner. And you know, Flurry's agent with the sword thing. Sword in the back before before the series started. Just put a sword through Leonard and wrote defense on it. Well, yeah, that was the game that the D- Vegas' defense wasn't really good. Um, here's another one from Snoop. I think this is like from two weeks ago, but we'll put it in anyway. He tweeted, just beat the hell out of my cousin Rover Breed because in the beginning of the season, he said the Canucks weren't a playoff team. We don't play around like that. He's like in a coma now, and I don't regret anything. You got to believe. Well, Rover Breed had it coming. Negative fan. Like, so negative, man. Anyway, that's... Pretty much, wait, I think a few more. Uh, one. Um, here's one more that pretty much sums up the series. Vanessa Jang tweeted a picture of Thatcher Demko holding a clipboard, and all it says is help. You got to give your... That's pretty much the series. Almost had no... Well, the last three games. Almost had no offensive help. 
Anyway, we also got one question from friend of the show, Andy Purr. I'm not going to read his uh, at his name because there's too many numbers. He asked us. Hyperfilled piss baby. Piss baby. It is. Yeah, and I'm not going to read them the ad because that has so many numbers. He asks, who is your favorite player left in the bubble? That's a good question. Mm. Kucherov? Yeah, Nikita Kucherov, probably. For the, from the Tampa Bay I like Lightning. Barzell. Yeah, Matthew Barzell. Well, not just because he's... He's, well, he's still in the bubble, I guess, right? I guess, because well, game seven between the Islanders and Flyers goes tonight. I don't know. Like There were um, guys on Vegas I, I do like, but nobody will, be able to, nobody will know. I, I mean, uh, I, 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 like I do Mark like Mark Stone. Stone. But, uh, I like Max Petrucci. I like yeah, Carlson. I like Shea like Theodore. Um, LeBron Dallas. I like Sagan. Uh, Tyler Sagan. That's pretty like much it. I like I like John Klingberg as well. So there are some players that we like left in the bubble. And that'll wrap up this week's episode. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, the Canucks are out, but we'll have more content. Um, throughout the off season and for the rest of the playoffs, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Avid Discussers. I'm at Joshua Ray ninety one. Ty is at Tea Party twenty one. That's the same handles for Instagram as well. And on Instagram, we're the Avid Discussers podcast, as well as on Facebook. If you still use that thing, so leave us a review. Uh, give us some constructive criticism. Always looking to improve our con our show for you. And hey, if you'd like to be a guest and GM one of us, you never know. We could accommodate a time for you. So hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Sucks the Canucks are out, but it's been a good season. And hopefully um, they play smart in the offseason. Oh, not play. They make some smart moves in the offseason. And we're going to have some more guests in the offseason. And we will... Of course, be putting out more more episodes. We'll talk some hockey and a bunch of other sports. Maybe we'll talk about some like non-sports related stuff as well. So, peace out.